Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins with the message, Liberation from Legalism. Hey, welcome to Calvary. We're so glad you came today. And at this portion of our service, we're gonna get into God's written word. So if you made it today without a Bible, there are Bibles under the seat in front of you. Or better yet, you can pull the Bible up on your smartphone or mobile device. I wanna encourage you to turn to Mark chapter two this morning. It's where we are, Mark chapter two. And the title of the message today is Liberation from Legalism. Liberation from Legalism. So Mark chapter two, we're gonna start in verse 18 because last week, church family, what verse did we stop at? 17, we just plowed through books of the Bible verse by verse. We're gonna go all the way to chapter three, verse six this morning. And so um, I hope you have a Bible in front of you and you're gonna follow along in the expositional teaching of God's word. How's everybody doing today? Good, doing well. An awesome service last night. We're looking forward to God doing great things here this morning in our two services. So liberation from legalism is what we're gonna talk about today. And if you found Mark 2, just say amen so I know you're there. All right, let's go to the Lord. Father, thank you for making our spirits alive. Ephesians 2 is very clear that we all, at one point in our lives, were dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins. That though you made us body, soul, spirit, we were born in sin, received from our father Adam, born with a sin nature, and our spirits were dead but we thank you for grace. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to seek and to save those who were lost. We thank you that we heard the gospel, the good news that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And we personalized it and we received you as our only hope. We thank you that the Spirit came in and quickened our spirit which was dead and made us alive in Christ. We're thankful the Holy Spirit now lives inside of us. We're grateful, Lord, for newness of life. We thank you, Lord, that we can now walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We thank you that we can be filled with your Spirit on a daily basis. Father, I'm grateful for this heart that you have toward us. And so as we get into this topic of liberation from legalism and religion, I pray that we'll clearly make a distinction between Christianity as presented in the New Testament and religion as it's presented by the world. And so help us, Lord, to be open to you, speak to us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said... All right, well, as Jesus was traveling around Galilee up there in the north and Judea down in the south at different parts during his ministry, you need to know that the religious leaders of his day were constantly following him around, harassing him to no end. Now, in order to understand our text today, we have to have a basic understanding of the religious culture of first century Judaism. And so that's what we're going to do today before we get into chapter 18. I'm going to give you a summary of the religious culture of Jesus' day. And so in Jesus' day, a supreme court governed the Jewish people, a court known as the Great Sanhedrin. Okay, so that's where we'll start today. You need to know this. The Great Sanhedrin was Israel's highest court, which was made up of the high priest and 70 men. This court was based um, on the temple courts there in Jerusalem, and it was divided into two distinct groups of men. You had the Sadducees, and you had the Pharisees. Okay, so who were the Sadducees? 
The Sadducees were the upper class. They were the aristocrats. They were the wealthy um, Jews in Jesus' day. And they made up the majority of the Sanhedrin. And they emphasized, this, by the way, it's a problem in Christian churches today. They emphasized politics over religion. And by the way, the, the Sadducees were all about peace with Rome. We don't want to stir the pot. You know, we love our temple. We love our positions and our authority and our wealth. And so let's be peace at be at peace with with um, with, uh, Ro- uh, with 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 Rome, and let's oppose the zealots because they're always trying to cause problems. That's the Sadducees. It goes on to say that they accepted the Torah. You guys remember what the Torah is, right? First five books of the Bible: Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's Torah, and they believe that was God's word. That's good, but they rejected the oral law. That's a very Uh, important phrase for this morning. I'll explain it as we go. So they rejected the oral law, and this is sad, they rejected anything supernatural like the resurrection and angels and the afterlife. Okay, that's the Sadducees. The Sadducees did not believe in heaven. That's why they were sad, you see? (laughs) Okay, so now you'll never forget that. All right, who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees, they were another group. If you're taking notes, the Pharisees were the middle class, and they made up the minority of the Sanhedrin, but they were very popular with the common man. By the way, the, the, the Pharisees started out at a really good group uh, at the time around the Maccabean revolt in the um, intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew when Antiochus Epiphanes came down and slaughtered the pig and set up the statue of Zeus and the Maccabees fought, you know, th- that whole time. The Pharisees came out of that. And so they were very popular. Here's the problem, though. They put their oral law on the same level as the written law. And they emphasized man-made rules. Please say man-made rules. To an extreme. But the good thing is they accepted the supernatural. Okay, but here's the problem with the Pharisees. They were prideful and they were pompous. And they were very religious. And they looked down their noses at sinners even though they were sinners themselves. And so that's why they were not fair, you see? Sadducees, Pharisees. You guys stay with me all morning, okay? Now, there was a handful of Pharisees within the Sanhedrin, less than 35. They were the minority. But according to Josephus, who was the first century Jewish historian, there was over 6,000 Pharisees all around Israel. And these were the guys who followed Jesus around and harassed him no matter where he went. Have you, ever got, have you, have you guys ever had a pebble in your shoe? Right, it's always there. And you're busy, you don't have time to sit down and take off your shoe and get rid of it, so you try to keep going for a while, but every time you take a step, it's like, man, I feel that. That's how the Pharisees were to Jesus. They were like a pebble in Jesus' sandals, and every time he took a step, he could feel them around him, and he was so irritated with these guys. What specifically irritated Jesus about these men? Here it is. Their extreme emphasis on man-made rules, known as their oral law. Okay, so what's the oral law? The oral law is the verbal teaching of the ancient rabbis, which supposedly was handed down from Moses. Please say the word supposedly, because there's no proof anywhere that this actually happened. Okay, and so the Pharisees believed that In addition to God's written word, in addition to Torah, there was an oral Torah. They believed that God gave Moses the Torah, true, but then in addition to that, they believed that God gave verbal instructions to Moses as to how to interpret the first five books of the Bible. And so Moses supposedly, please say supposedly, received these verbal teachings from God as to how to interpret Torah, and then he passed it on to Joshua, and Joshua passed it on to the next generation, and it went from ancient rabbis 
to ancient rabbis, to ancient rabbis, from Moses all the way to Jesus, from 1500 BC all the way to the first century AD. And so by the time Jesus comes on the scene, you have all these oral laws, all these man-made rules. And the Pharisees, sadly, put the man-made rules on the same level as God's written word. And they used the oral law to dictate the religious life of the Jews. They had the Jews beneath their thumbs. They were very religious, very strict. Let me give you one example. It has to do with the Sabbath. The Sabbath uh, comes from a Hebrew word. Basic meaning is to cease. And so God said in the fourth commandment, this is God's written word, okay? So we're gonna put up the fourth commandment here on the screen. Um, This is Exodus 20, verses eight through 10. God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, okay? So Sunday, the first day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, six days you do all your work, and then from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, that's the Sabbath. He says, but the seventh day, that's Saturday, is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God, and on it you shall not do any what? Work. Pretty simple, right? Pretty straightforward in God's written word. By the way, quick side note, um, if you want to write this down somewhere, in Exodus 31, verse 17, it says that the Sabbath was a sign between God and Israel, okay? And so the Sabbath was given from God to Israel, Jewish people under the old covenant. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now under the new covenant, You need to know that out of 10 commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. There's only one commandment that was never repeated as binding in the New Testament under the new covenant, and that is keeping the Sabbath. So that's why we, under the new covenant, do not cease working from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. That's done. Well, what do we do? We recognize that Jesus is our Sabbath. He's our Sabbath rest. Now, Even though we're not under the law of the Sabbath, it's still a good idea. It's a good principle. I work five and a half days a week, and so from uh, when we say amen at the 11 o'clock service until Tuesday morning, I take off. And so it's a principle that I have in my my, my life, in my wife's life. We cease working. Why? Because if we didn't do that, man, we'd crash and burn. So you need to have a principle like that, but it doesn't have to be Friday from sundown to Saturday to, uh, to sundown. And so God created the Sabbath to be a blessing so that his people could stop working so that they could focus on him and focus on their families and focus on getting some rest. But the ancient rabbi said, no, 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 it's more complicated than that. And so they enacted hundreds of man-made rules about how to keep the Sabbath properly. Now, John MacArthur in his New Testament commentary has a lot to say about this. I wanna quote MacArthur now, about this subject, okay? He said, on a Sabbath, scribes could not carry their pins, tailors their needles, or students their books. To do so might tempt them to work on the Sabbath. For that matter, carrying anything heavier than a dried fig was forbidden, No bathing was allowed since water might spill on the floor and accidentally wash it, and that would be considered work. No furniture could be moved inside the house since it might create ruts in the dirt floor and thereby constitute plowing. A radish could not be left in salt because it would become a pickle, and pickling constituted work. It was not even permissible for women to look in a mirror since they might be tempted to pull out any gray hairs they spotted. (laughs) That would be considered harvesting, and that's work. Nor were they allowed to wear jewelry since jewelry weighs more than a dried fig. And he just goes on and on and on about these hundreds of tedious, legalistic, man-made rules supposedly handed down from Moses to Joshua to the rabbis all the way to the time of Jesus, and that's utter nonsense. 
Ladies and gentlemen, God created Sabbath to be a blessing, but man, in Jesus' day, man turned it into a burden. And that leads you to your next point. The Pharisees weighed people down with a load of legalistic demands. Imagine going to Sam's tomorrow and buying a 50-pound sack of rice. You carry it to your car, then from your car to your house, and you lay it right down next to your bed. Next morning, the alarm goes off, you get out of bed, take a shower, get dressed, and you pick up a 50-pound bag of rice, and you carry it around all day. You carry it to the kitchen, have your coffee, and you carry it to your car, go to work with it, and you carry it around the office, wherever you go, and after a while, what happens? You're, you're, you're bending down, it's, it's, it's a burden, it's hard. That night, you carry it to your small group, and all, the whole time you're in your life group, you've got this big 50-pound sack of rice, and you, 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 your, your smile's turning into a frown, right, because it's so heavy. This is what's happening in Jesus' day to the Jews. They're carrying around a big sack of man-made legalistic rules wherever they went, and Jesus wanted to set them free. And ladies and gentlemen, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. And some people this morning, you need to be freed from religion. You need to be free from legalism. You need to be freed from man-made rules. You need to be freed from traditionalism. You need to be freed from all of these offenses that you have because people are not crossing their T's or dotting their I's the way you think they ought to cross their T's and dot their I's. Some of you need to repent this morning and get rid of all that junk and just follow Jesus and be filled with his spirit. And so that's a little bit about the religious culture that the Lord was dealing with. Now last week, uh, we talked about Matthew, and here's Matthew. He's an irreligious Jew. He's sitting in the tax booth working for the Romans. He was a sinner. And Jesus loved him anyway. And Jesus said, Matthew, come follow me, and Matthew left the tax booth, and he went into the ministry, and Jesus absolutely changed his life. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and watch it online or listen to our podcast, but Jesus changed Matthew's life. Now, here's what happens. When, when you've been changed by Jesus Christ from the inside out, you want your friends to be changed too. And so Matthew threw a big party. He invited his friends, and he made Jesus the guest of honor. And so that's where we're at. That's the context of where we're at today when we jump into verse 18. It's a party. It's Matthew's party. And the disciples are there, and they're eating. So I want you to picture that, Matthew's party, and there's the tax collectors and the quote-unquote sinners, and there's Jesus, and there's the disciples, and the disciples are chowing down, and they're eating. Because that's what you do at a party, right? You eat. You have fun. You lighten up. You celebrate. But not everyone was enjoying the food. Okay, so look at verse 18. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were what? Fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Okay, so here's what's going on here in verse 18. Even though the written word, everybody say written word. So even though the written word only told the Jews that they had to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, the Pharisees added man-made, say man-made, man-made rules, and so they fasted twice a week. And so the Pharisees had the audacity to crash Matthew's party while they were fasting. And people are trying to have a good time, and they're trying to give them, the Pharisees some food, and the Pharisees' attitude, all pious, was, no thank you, we're fasting. Good for you. And so people come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, the Pharisees are fasting. They're not eating. And then they look over at Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they're chowing down on fish and spreading hummus on their pita bread and eating lentil soup, right? And they're just chowing down. And, and they're like, hey, the Pharisees are not eating, but your disciples sure are eating. So, so Lord, why don't your disciples fast? Okay, Jesus is gonna answer in verse 19. And Jesus said to them, 
Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Let that sink in for a minute. Did you guys know that every time Jesus answered these guys, it was absolute perfect and powerful and convicting? Can the wedding guests fast while the groom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. This makes sense, right? I mean, imagine if you were at a wedding this Saturday. You're sitting there in the church. There's the groom and the groomsmen. There's the bride and the bridesmaids. The happy couple says, we do, and they kiss, and everybody cheers, and you go to the reception. Okay, weddings, I'll ask you. You can answer out loud. Are weddings a time of sorrow or joy? Joy. But imagine if all those people that you're with go to the reception, and they're sitting around the reception with frowny faces. <laughs> and they're not eating. And the, the attendants are coming, hey, you want some wedding cake? No, we're fasting. <laughs> How would that make the groom feel? The groom would walk into that room and say, hey, what's up? Lighten up. I just got married over here. Eat, celebrate, dance, have some fun. Okay, so now the context of where we are is Matthew's party. Say party. Okay, that's what's going on here. And so the, the people are saying, how come your disciples don't fast, Jesus? Well, here's why. Because Jesus is the groom, and his disciples are the groomsmen. And a bunch of Matthew's friends, sinners and tax collectors, they're about to put their faith in Jesus and become the bride of Christ. Is this a time of sorrow or a time of joy? Help me out. Joy. And so Jesus is like, let them eat. Let them celebrate. Lighten up. Now, there is coming a time, Jesus says, when they're going to fast. He says in verse 20, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Okay, so there's going to be a time when Jesus ascends back to the right hand of the Father. And so at that time, the disciples are going to miss him. They're going to feel sorrowful, and at that time, they will fast. But as long as they had Jesus with them, they're going to celebrate now, the Pharisees did not like this explanation from Jesus. In fact, the Pharisees didn't much like anything Jesus said. And so Jesus now is going to explain, he's gonna give two everyday illustrations to explain why the Pharisees had a, such a hard time receiving his teachings. Okay, so he's gonna give the first illustration in verse 21 about garments, then he's going to give a second illustration in verse 22 about wineskins. Okay, so let's look at verse 21. He says there, um, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Okay, and so the idea here is that you have this old garment. It's already been washed over and over and over again, so this old garment is already shrunk as much as it's gonna shrink. But then, you know, maybe you get it caught on a nail and it tears, and so Jesus said, everybody knows you don't take an unshrunk piece of cloth, a patch, and sew it on that old garment. Why? Because when you wash the old garment, the garment's already shrunk, but the patch is gonna shrink because it's new and it's gonna cause a greater tear. Does this make sense to you guys? By the way, quick side note. Whatever happened to patches on our jeans? <laughs> How many of you guys grew up in the 70s like me? Do you guys remember when we we're outside playing and we fall down and we get a tear in our jeans? You remember what mom did? I, I used to walk around with jeans with patches on the knees. Right now, people call me a dork if I, if I did that, right? But that was the 70s. That's what you did. Now, the kids are walking around with all these holes in their jeans <laughs> everywhere. And I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I guess I'm a little old school, but I'm not going to pay 
for a pair of jeans with holes all over them. But then I, I got to thinking about it, and, and, and I, got, I kind of got convicted because did you guys know it's biblical for Christians to wear jeans with holes in them? It is. In Peter, it says, be holy, for I am holy. <laughs> All right? So I guess Pastor Will is, is more spiritual than I am because I, I saw him wearing those jeans this morning. Verse 22, same idea, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. <laughs> but new wine is for what? Fresh wineskins. And so the idea here, very, very similar to his other illustration, the idea here is that an old wineskin has already been stretched and stretched as much as, as, as it's gonna be stretched, right? You have a wineskin, you pour wine into it, the wine ferments and expands, and the wineskin stretches. And then you do that same thing, and it stretches more, and after a while, it becomes an old wineskin. So Jesus says, everybody knows you don't pour new wine into that old, rigid, stiff wineskin, why? Because as the wine ferments and expands, it's gonna burst all over the place. What in the world was the Lord saying? Here it is, if you're taking notes. The Pharisees were like an old garment and an old wineskin. And Jesus' teaching, well, that was like new cloth and new wine. And so Jesus is saying to these guys, guys, if I sew my teachings like a patch on your old garment, it's gonna tear your old, rigid, legalistic, self-righteous, external conformity garment. And guys, if I pour my teachings into your old wineskin, what's gonna happen? It's gonna burst your legalistic, man-made rules. And that's exactly what happened. As, as Jesus was teaching, right, Many people received it gladly, like new wineskins, but the Pharisees had their arms crossed and they were so angry they could not receive what Jesus was saying. And Jesus taught anyway. And as Jesus' teaching is trying to get inside of these, these guys, what's happening is that their hearts are tearing like an old garment. They're so steeped in legalism as Jesus is teaching, right? Their hearts are bursting like an old wineskin. So, at Calvary Chapel, poor St. Lucy, ladies and gentlemen, please, let us never become like the Pharisees. Let us never become like old wineskins, rigid, inflexible, about man-made rules, where we try to impose stuff that's not even in the Bible on people to dictate their religious life. Hey, let's be like new wineskins. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to pour the teachings of Jesus inside of us. And yes, when we're challenged, let's expand along with his teachings and let's grow and let's change. But listen, it's not about outward conformity to a legal list of rules. It's about the Spirit of God coming in and changing us from the inside out. That's a new wineskin. And so let's, let's not be about legalism. Let's be about loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Let's not be about traditionalism. Let's be about being filled with the Spirit and letting the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and patience, and kindness, kindness, people, kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Let that be the fruit of our lives. Let's stop looking down on people because, as I said earlier, they don't cross their T's the way we do or dot our I's the way we do. And if anybody tries to put you on a legalistic trip, 
In a religious context, if anybody you know, tries to tell you, you gotta do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta do this, here's what you need to do. You need to ask yourself, is this a man-made rule, or is this part of God's written word? And then, if it's a man-made rule, it's your decision whether you obey that or not. Well, they won't like me. Who cares? I've been a part of churches that have been very legalistic in my past. I've had pastors come up to me because I go to church without a tie on, and they call me out because I don't have a tie on. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, all these man-made rules. Who cares what people wear to church, ladies and gentlemen? Just let them come. We should be thankful they're coming. This whole idea of, well, you gotta wear your Sunday best for God, that's a man-made rule. Because poor people who can't afford the Sunday best come in and they see all these people with suits and ties and they're dressed to kill and they're thinking, I've got these rags, I'm not going to that church anymore. No, let them come and let them come as they are. We have one rule at Calvary as far as what you dress, and that's modest. Because why? It's in the written word. It's in the New Testament. And so, ladies, please be modest. But, man, if somebody wants to wear holes in their jeans, let them come. You say, but you can see their skin. Well, good night. Is, is that a problem with you? Maybe it's a problem with your heart, not with their jeans. I know I'm stepping on some toes today, but I do not want to pastor a church made up of Pharisees that are like old, rigid wineskins. It's not gonna happen here. It's not gonna happen here. Love God and love your neighbor and chill out. That's the idea. All right, and so by the way, I gotta put this in. I'm not talking about kids, your parents' rules. So if your dad says, hey, son, wash the dishes, don't say, dad, is that in the Bible? I'm just trying to help you out. I'm also not talking about, you know, work, work rules. If your boss tells you to do something, don't say, is that in the Bible? Come on. No, you understand what I'm saying? We're talking about church context here. And Jesus was so grieved and upset and angry with these religious people. Look at verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And so get the picture in your mind as the disciples are walking by the grain fields here. What they're doing is they're plucking the heads of grain, the heads of wheat, Luke describes this in his gospel, and they rub it in their hands, <clears throat> and then they blow the chaff, and they take that wheat, and they chew on it, and they eat it. And that's what they do. That's what they were doing here in Mark chapter two. Completely harmless. You say, isn't that stealing? No, because in the written word, say written word, in Deuteronomy 23, five, it gives provision for this, as long as you're not taking a, a harvesting tool and cutting down your neighbor's stalks of wheat, you can go by and do that. Hey, the Lord wants us to share. Poor people would come and they would do that, no problem. And so, even though the disciples weren't violating the written word, they were violating the Pharisees' oral law, their tradition of the elders, their man-made rules. Okay, so look at verse 24 now. It says, and the Pharisees were saying to him, okay, so everybody look at me real quick. He's out for a walk on the Sabbath, and he's just trying to have some peace and quiet, and there they are again, the pebble in the sandal. Always there, always harassing. And so in verse 24, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath day? And I read this and I think, are these guys in the field stalking Jesus? I mean, picture it. Can you see stalks of grain? Can you see the Pharisees' heads popping up? <laughs> taking their binoculars and their walkie-talkies. 
Pharisee one, the Pharisee two. I see Jesus over. He has 12 men. I repeat, that's 12 men over. Oh no, they plucked the grain. I repeat, they plucked the grain. Move in. And they all just converge on Jesus like white on rice. Your disciples are violating the Sabbath rules. It's right here in the tradition of the elders and the ancient teachings of the rabbis. And Jesus is like, can you give me a break? What is going on with this spirit of religion and the spirit of legalism? They're working. They're threshing. Now look at how Jesus answers this. Verse 25. And he said to them, have you never, what's the word? Read. I circled it in my Bible. Maybe you want to do that too. See, it's not about man-made rules. It's about what you read in this book. Have you never read what David did when he was in need? Everybody say in need. I'll come back to that. And was hungry, he and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, that's the showbread, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Okay, I love it, I love it, I love it. Jesus said, have you not read? Ladies and gentlemen, if you're with me, please say amen here. Jesus did not care about their man-made rules, but he did care about the written word of God. And that leads to your next point, maybe the most important point of the day, and that is the written word is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice, not man-made rules. This is the heart cry of the Reformation. I just watched uh, two nights ago a, a docudrama, okay, so it's a movie, it's a docudrama on the life of Martin Luther, it's on Netflix, made 2017, Great information, summary of this man's life, how God used this guy to fight against the Roman Catholic Church. Why? Here's why. Because the Roman Catholic Church, they were putting their traditions, their rulings and counsel and Pope, as he speaks, quote unquote, infallibly, in all their counsels, They were putting that tradition on the same level as God's word, and Martin Luther said, no. Now, I I understand many of you know Martin Luther, and you know the comments that he made at the end of his life when he's a very sick man, and I'm not in any way agreeing with those anti-Semitic comments at all about Martin Luther. But hey, yes, he was wrong for saying those things, but look at the guy's whole life. Watch it. Watch the docudrama on Netflix Um, 2017 called Martin Luther. And what you'll see is this guy was filled with the spirit and bold by God to stand up to a corrupt church at the time that was putting man-made rules on the same level as God's word. And so Jesus, what is he doing here? He says, have you not read? And so what he does, he doesn't take a scroll of Samuel out and start reading. He knew the word of God. He had meditated on it. And so he tells them the story of 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses one through six. Okay, and so I'll just give you the summary. You don't have to turn there. But in that passage, what's happening is that Saul, who is insane, he's the king, is trying to kill David. Why? Because he's jealous of David. By the way, you got some religious leaders in the grain fields that are jealous of Jesus, and they wanna kill Jesus. Maybe that's why he picked the story. I'm not sure. But Saul is running and chasing and trying to kill David, and David's running from Saul with his mighty men, and they get to the city of Nob, where the tabernacle is. And David and his his men are famished, they're hungry. And so they walk up, they knock on the door, and Ahimelech, by the way, the father of Abiathar. So Ahimelech is gonna die soon, and Abiathar is gonna become the high priest. So all this happened in the days of Abiathar, like Jesus said. But anyway, David knocks on the door, and there's Ahimelech, the high priest, and he says, hey, 
you know, I'm hungry and my men are hungry. Do you have any food in there? And Ahimelech says, we don't have any common bread, but we do have the holy bread, the bread of presence, the show bread. If you're not familiar with the tabernacle later on the temple, you have the holy place where you walk in and there's the altar of incense, there's the candelabra, and over here on the right, you have the table of showbread. And so every Sabbath, the priests would come out and they would bake fresh, um, hot, unleavened bread, 12 loaves, and they put them in two stacks of six on this golden table, the table of showbread, in the holy place in God's presence. 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The whole thing was a representation of how God's presence was with his people, the Jews, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so David, hey, we don't have any common bread, but we do have the holy bread. Now what you need to know is that in Leviticus 24.9, it says very clearly that the holy bread is only supposed to be eaten by the priests, And yet David is saying, we're starving, we're in need. And so what does Ahimelech do? He goes into the holy place, he takes the 12 loaves and he brings them out to David and his mighty men. And Jesus brings that story up to the Pharisees out in the grain field. What was the point Jesus was trying to make? His point was that God was not upset at David for doing this because in verse 25, It says he was in need. The guy and his men, they were hungry. They needed to eat. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. And human need always supersedes religious rituals. Ooh, that's important. Human need always supersedes religious rituals. And so if David was not judged for breaking the ceremonial law of God, Why were Jesus' disciples being judged for breaking the Sabbath rules of man? You see why Jesus brought this up to them? You think they liked this explanation of the Lord? Nope, smoke's coming out of their ears. But it's gonna come out even stronger now in verse 27. And Jesus said to these Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man. You remember what I said earlier, ladies and gentlemen? Hey, take a day off and focus on God and focus on your family and focus on getting some rest. The Sabbath was made for man. He goes on to say in verse 27, not man for the Sabbath. Not trying to keep up with hundreds and hundreds of tedious man-made legalistic rules where now it's a burden, not a blessing. He says in verse 28, so the son of man That's an Old Testament title for the Messiah. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Hey, Pharisees, I'm the Son of Man. I created the Sabbath day. So me and my guys, we're gonna do whatever we want on my day. They're enraged. (laughs) So mad. And so again, verses one through six and three flow right with the whole context of what we're talking about. So let's read these verses and then make some closing comments here. So stay with me, please, to the end. It says, again, he entered the synagogue, chapter three, verse one, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, there they are again, (laughs) everywhere, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Okay, and so the the Pharisees knew that Jesus would be drawn to this man, why? You guys help me out, you can answer out loud. Why was Jesus drawn to this man with a withered hand? He was in need, He 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 wanted to help him, he was hurting. If you're here today and you're hurting, you need to know that Jesus is drawn to you and he loves you and he wants to touch your life. And the Pharisees knew that. I believe it's a setup. We don't know for sure. I think they planted this guy in the synagogue because they knew Jesus would be drawn to this man and want to heal him. And so they watched him. Why? So that they might accuse him. You say, accuse him of what? Of healing on the Sabbath. You say, what's wrong with that? It broke their man-made rules. 
By the way, nowhere in the written word does it ever forbid practicing medicine on the Sabbath. But it broke their oral law, their man-made rules. And so they're watching him. They're wanting to accuse him. And so, man, if you were living in Jesus' day and you broke your arm on the Sabbath, as long as your life was not in danger, you had to wait to go see your doctor on Sunday. That's the culture. And so look at verse three now. It says, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And by the way, can I just say this? Jesus could have healed this guy on Sunday. He could have waited one day. The guy's hand has been withered for probably a while. He's purposely healing him on the Sabbath. Why? Because he's fighting against religion. We need to fight against religion. We need to fight against anything that comes against the gospel of grace. Come here. And the man with the withered hand walks up. And he said to them, is it lawful, Jesus is talking to the crowd in the synagogue, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with what? Anger. Do you see? Where the religious spirit, the legalistic spirit will get you? Jesus will look at you with anger because it doesn't represent the heart of God. And he's grieved. He says he looks at them with anger and he's grieved at the hardness of their heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Can you imagine that? You know, stretch out your hand. The guy's hand's all deformed and withered and he stretches it out and all of a sudden it's just like new. Now you would think right now the Pharisees would call a meeting and say, hey, if Jesus loves people that much and if he's got that much power to heal a man, maybe we should rethink our position and maybe we should start following Jesus. Was that their response? Last verse, verse six. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. Why? because he broke their man-made rule. And now they wanna murder him. And these are the religious people. Ladies and gentlemen, what is religion? If you're with me, say amen. Hey, stay, stay here, okay? Here's, here's what religion is. Religion is outward conformity to a list of man-made rules in, a, in an attempt to be made right with God. Do you get that? I want you to get this. Because listen, our churches in America are filled with religion. Religion is outward conformity to a list of man-made rules in an attempt to be made right with God. But can religion change a person's heart? The Pharisees wanna kill him. No. What's the only thing that can change our hearts and make us right with God. It's your last point. Here it is, if you're taking notes, only a relationship with Jesus can change us and make us right with God. That's where it's at. That's the gospel. Not religion, relationship. Listen to God's word. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works. Please say, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared um, in advance for us to do. And so here's the good news of the gospel. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. It's an evidence. It's not an effort. Oh, I gotta earn my wings today, so I'm gonna give to this charity. Oh, I gotta earn my wings tomorrow, so I'm gonna go to church. Oh, I'm gonna earn my wings, so I'm gonna keep the golden rule. Religion. Nothing, nothing can earn a relationship with Jesus. Jesus said, it is finished. It's done. 
Religion says do, do, do. Jesus says done. Right? And so here's what we do. We turn from our sins the best way we know how. And we turn to Jesus Christ as our only hope. Jesus, your blood is the only thing in the universe that can cleanse me of my sins. Please save me. Please be the master of my life. And what does he do? He sends his spirit inside and he changes us from the inside out. And every single day from the inside out, the spirit works and he changes us. We got to have patience with one another as we go through the sanctification process. He changes us from the inside out. That's Christianity. That's the New Testament. It has nothing to do with man-made religion. And so if you're here today and you're trying to earn your wings, I just want to say with all the love in my heart that if you die trying to earn your wings, you're going to wake up in a place that you will regret for all eternity. Stop trying. Start trusting. Trust Jesus. So the way we're gonna close the service is I'm gonna pray and you will be dismissed if you need to go. But if you would like to receive Jesus as your savior and your only hope, we'll have elders here in the middle. You can come. We'll explain in five minutes or less what the gospel is. And you can open your heart up to Jesus Christ and let him come in. If you're here today and you have any kind of need in your life and you need prayer, there's prayer partners on both sides. They would love to minister to you confidentially and pray for you. And so we're here, pastors, prayer partners, elders, we're here. I want you to know we're here if you need ministry. Um, everybody else, cafe, uh, courtyard, there's coffee. If you're visiting, we have a free gift at the Next Steps area. Um, and so avail yourself of these things that we're providing. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for your love for us. An eternal love that sent your son to pay the price for our sins. Risen Jesus, we love you. We give our lives to you. And we pray all these things in your name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you, you're dismissed. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at calvarypsl.com. Click on I'm new here, then knowing Christ.